Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hello, 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 amigas, and welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I have an exciting person here in front of me today. Her name is Maria Ramirez, and she is running for LA County District Attorney. That's huge. Huge, huge, huge. And I'm excited to have her here and call her a friend. So Maria, Maria was born and raised in LA in the working class neighborhood of Boyle Heights. She's the daughter of Mexican immigrants who worked hard to make a new life here. Her grandfather immigrated to LA in the 1960s and worked tirelessly as a truck mechanic. Through sacrifice and hard work, her grandfather and father were able to build a small family trucking business known as Ramirez Trucking Company. So Maria grew up in Boyle Heights and she loves her neighborhood and also felt the need to be a part of the neighborhood in the capacity as an attorney. So how did she start? She first started off at Loyola Marymount University, where she attained her bachelor's degree and then went to law school to Loyola Law School. Now, for the past three decades, Maria has been a steadfast advocate for all victims of crimes with a focus in prosecuting gang violence and drug trafficking. She has forged new paths and broken barriers within the DA's office. Maria is the first Latina to be promoted to head deputy and bureau director level. As director of specialized prosecutions, she oversaw operations for seven divisions, major crimes, hardcore gang, sex crime, family violence, crimes against peace officers, target, and juvenile. So Maria is a proud member of Mexican-American Bar Association, where she served previously as president in 2016. And she sits on numerous boards. She currently lives in, in Whittier with her husband, who is a retired Alhambra Fire Department Battalion Chief. And, she, and his name is Edward Guerrero. 
and they have a 12-year-old son. So she's a family woman. She's a hard worker. She is a amazing, amazing prosecutor. And we have this beautiful detailed conversation about the differences in leadership that she has with her opponent. And I can't wait for you to join in and listen to this amazing episode with not only Maria Ramirez. So without further ado, this is Maria Ramirez. Welcome, welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast, Maria. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. I love your title. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I am very connected to that phrase because I've used it in my leadership roles when it's uh, when people don't work do their work. And I'm always like, can't you just handle your shit? You know? Yeah. Anyway, so I appreciate it and the oh. meaning behind it. Oh, thank you so much, Maria, because, you know, I really got some slack on that because I'm oh. like, how dare you use the S word? Uh, I love it. It, get, it gives it flavor. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I feel like as Latinas, it really gives you a little bit more of sazon in it, right? Because like, exactly. you know what it means. You know exactly yes. what it means. And it is not negative. It's all positive because we have been told like, if you want to go far, le tienes que chingar. You got to mm-hmm. handle you your do. <laughs> Yes, you do. Exactly that. That's that's right, Jackie. Well, amiga, I know you've been handling your shit. So let's let's backtrack a little bit about you. So for those amigas out there that have not heard your name, Maria Ramirez, why don't you let my listeners know who is Maria Ramirez? I think it's important to know me on a personal level. And uh, to know a little bit of my background. So my parents did immigrate here from Mexico, Guadalajara, Mexico is where they are from. And uh, they came, my father and my grandfather came to L.A. County back in the early 60s. And my grandfather, who was a very, very, very hard worker, started working all these different jobs, eventually got a job as a truck mechanic and Through his hard work, he was finally able to save enough money to buy his first truck and started the Ramirez Trucking Company. So that is the basis of our family here in L.A. County with his sons, my dad and my my uncle. They started Ramirez Trucking Company and it still exists today, but is now run by my sister who is handling her shit and, you know, running a company that was started by my grandfather and my father. So I'm really proud of that history. We grew up in, we settled in Boyle Heights area of LA. And so that's where I grew up. And that is where really to this day, I don't live there anymore, but my parents still live there. My sister still lives there. And that is where my heart is really. I am a girl from Boyle Heights and that is never going to leave me. So that is really who I am. And I I ended up staying in LA to do all of my schooling. I went to a school, Sacred Heart of Mary in Montebello. And then I went there too. Oh oh my God. Was it, was it co-ed at the time when you went? Okay. So when I became a senior, that was the first year of the count. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh my God. Yes. That is so funny. I didn't know that about you, Jackie. And this, 
when I went there, it was all girls school, um, but we did have the boys school across the street, Cantwell. So that's where I was a Camel cheerleader. You know, it was kind of, even though we weren't one school, we still, I think, felt like we were connected in that way back then. So something I have in common with you, that is awesome. Another thing. And uh, then I decided to go to Loyola Marymount University here in LA as well. And I will tell you that that was because even though I was in a a school in Montebello outside of Boyle Heights, Loyola Marymount was really the first time I think that I went outside and and kind of got to see what there was outside of my East L.A. neighborhood, you know, and it, it was definitely a daunting thing. And I felt, you know, they talk about culture shock and all of that. And it that I don't think I knew what it was. But I definitely now, looking back, understand what it was. And it definitely was that for me. And I tried to navigate it as much as I could. I think I did pretty well. And really, I think what got me through college, those college years, was having other Latinos at the school that formed groups and associations that we could be a part of so that I think we still felt a little bit at home because what, if it wasn't for that, I don't know how really, if I would have gone all the way through, it was, it was, uh, you know, you get homesick. It's not the same different cultures that you're not used to interacting on a daily basis with, Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you had that experience. Oh or- Girl, I could definitely identify with that It because see, we, living in LA where we have a lot of Latinos in our high schools, right? Like, but then you go to college, you're like, holy moly, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. the heck? Where are they? <laughs> where are yes. They? Yes. And now it's, it's and different, it's so but back few. then was not. Yeah. And yeah. I imagine I'm hoping that it's a little bit different now. Um, I think it is, but back then definitely, I mean, this was in, I graduated in 1987. Yeah. So that was a very different time. And so it was a very close knit group and, thank God for that, because at least I was able to have a group that I felt I can always rely on or, you know, they were there to support me. And so, yeah, so that, you know, I graduated from Loyola Marymount University and it was, I had a political science bachelor's degree with a philosophy minor. And honestly, I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. I, I liked politics, but at that time, And then, you know, I I think I wasn't ready yet to decide what exactly I wanted to do. But so that is when I decided, you know, I'm going to keep going forward with my education and go to Loyola Law School. And so I decided to do that. And and really, I I don't know. It's funny because now when you hear about people applying for law schools and even colleges, they're applying to just like 10 or 20 and, you know, at the time, I don't know what I was thinking, but I think I only applied to like four uh, law schools. <laughs> I just thought it was going to be easy, right? Oh, right. You know, yeah, cake. I got to yeah, college, so I'm sure I can get in. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say that, of course, I think two rejected me outright. And then one, they put me on a wait list. And so then that's when I started getting nervous because I realized, oh my God, I don't have a plan B for this. You know, what if I don't get accepted into law school? And so luckily, luckily, Loyola Law School was uh, starting this program. And I think it was designed, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily affirmative action, but I think it was designed to give individuals that perhaps needed a little like leg up 
with um, starting law school. So they started, you would start in the summer before your first year and they would teach you research and legal writing and kind of get, get you used to what law school is going to be. So they said, Hey, if you do this, uh, course in the summer, you can come uh, to law school. And I'm like, oh, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. And then when I got there, I realized it was mostly the minorities in the class, you know? So it was, yeah. it was very interesting. interesting. Mm. Yeah, you, yeah. You're like, is this good or bad? <laughs> right. So it was funny because there were, in my law school class, there were only four Latinos. So two Latina women and two Latinos, mm-hmm. Latino men. And I think three of us were in that class. And so it was kind of interesting, you know, and maybe they were trying to allow more minorities to come into the school. And maybe that was their effort. But we talk about it now, like sort of after the fact, like, hey, you know, isn't it funny that, you know, we were all in there and I said, well, whatever, because we're all successful lawyers now. So it all worked out. Right. Right. You know, so I took advantage of that because for me, it's all about, well, you know what, this is going to give me a leg up from all the other students that didn't take this class. Mm -hmm. And I think it did. I, I, I felt a little more prepared for what law school was and was able to navigate. It was, it wasn't easy at all. It was very hard, but you know, I just kept on moving forward. It's all, it's all I can tell you. And it just took a lot of sacrifice, I think, from, you know, my friends and my family. And I really had to make it, make it a priority, especially when it came time to take the bar for three months. It was just every day you got up, right? You get up and you go study and then you go study some more. You might have lunch in between. Yeah. Yep. And yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. And I missed like some friends' weddings and things like that because I couldn't, I couldn't go. But I, so, you know, that experience about the sacrifice that you have to make. And I think what keeps you going is, is knowing that this little period of time that at some point I'm going to look back on. Right. So, so uh, I was able to do that and um, pass the bar, you know, the first time, because I, that's what I did. I just sacrificed everything else to do it. Yeah, no, I totally, I can, I can see that. And I see it Mm -hmm. for me too, because that's exactly what happened for me too. I mean, I'm like, it was like, I ate and I slept and I mm-hmm. breathe the, the bar. That was, that was, yeah. that's it. Like, yes. don't talk to me. I don't have time yeah. for you. <laughs> and luckily, thankfully, thank God, you know, I passed the bar too on the first try, yeah. which congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. you we did. handled our shit. Jackie. We did. We handled our shit. And, and mind you back then when I, I took it when I, I took it in 2000. So, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, there was less than 50% passage rate. That I do recall. I didn't know the statistic in terms of the, whether Latinos, how many Latinos, mm-hmm. I didn't even like bother. I was just so happy. I passed. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. here you are, you passed the bar. So what was next? Did you know that you were going to do criminal work? I did. I think early, actually, I was still in law school when I I took a trial advocacy course. And part of the course, the first uh, semester was classroom work. And then the second semester, they assigned you to the district attorney's office as an intern. And you were certified law clerk. So you were able to do hearing, conduct hearings and do all of that. So once I got my foot into the door at the DA's office, I fell in love with the work. 
And I knew that I wanted to for sure do criminal law and I, I for sure wanted to be a litigator. I didn't want to be in an office and, you know, do contracts or business or anything like that. But I really wanted to be in the courtroom. I wanted to work with our community. And so that once I started working at the DA's office, I, I think I found, I found my calling and I know that I count myself very lucky that, you know, I was able to find a career that 33 years later, I am still in that chosen career. And I know that doesn't happen all of the time, but I was lucky. But I think I also was very, I made sure that I listened to my heart in terms of like what I wanted to do with my law school degree and, you know, didn't listen to everything going on around me. It was something that I just found passion for. So, yeah, so I went straight in and passed the bar. And so I was able to come in as a DA in, in 1990 is when I started practicing law. Wow. I mean, this is a long trajectory. And now we find you getting into politics. So, but before we get there, I want to, if you can like, provide us with an experience that really has made a huge impact on your life today that actually is the impetus behind you wanting to become a district attorney in terms of like the LA County district attorney. Oh, the, the LA County district attorney. The LA County. So that, I think it, I think we have to really fast forward through my career because, uh, but mention it also in this sense in that, Uh, Like I said, I found my passion. And so it was finding something that I felt on a daily basis, I could do something that was good and that was right. And that, um, you know, we every day went to court wanting to do justice. At least that's where I was coming from. And that all came from really where I grew up in my neighborhood in Boyle Heights. We had a lot of crime there when we were younger. We had a lot of gang violence. And so it was really something like I wanted to do something about that. And so that kind of like pushed my trajectory in the office. And then, and then I have to be just very honest with you. Uh, the three years ago, the county elected, uh, district attorney George Gascon and things drastically changed to the point where I didn't recognize my chosen career anymore for what it was. It was, it was no longer doing the right thing. It was all about the politics and the perception and these agendas, you know, that had nothing to do with what we do on a daily basis. And so the last three years, I think, has really broken my heart in a way because, especially because I have been there for so long, I've been a DA under I think a total of five elected district attorneys. And I always felt whether you agreed with the elected district attorney or didn't agree with the elected district attorney that you were still able to always go to work and do the right thing, protect the community and exact justice every day. And three years ago, that changed. And I no longer felt the uh, ability to do that. And I just felt that the decisions that were being made in our office were for a political reason and not, and not because we were there to make sure that the community was protected, that public safety was the top priority, that victims were important. All of that sort of went out the window. And, um, so it just, 
you know, the reason I think that I decided to run now is because I loved my office so much and saw it change for the negative. And then also, but more importantly, I loved my community so much and saw how all of these new directives were affecting it negatively. And so I, you know, because of my experience, I just felt the need that I had to do something about it. And honestly, I feel that, you know, it is a crowded field, um, as you may have heard, but I'm the only one that actually has been in management under three different district attorneys and senior management. And so I have been involved with actually running operations in the office and no other candidate has that experience except me. So not only do I stand apart because I am the woman, I am the Latina, but I'm also the most experienced, which is, you know, so you can't take that for granted. You can't just come in and say, well, I'm Latina and I'm a woman and I deserve to be there. I think that yeah. you have to have a body of work that shows that you deserve to be there. And yeah. uh, I think that's yeah. that's why I decided to run. Yeah, because I mean, you know, your leadership, being a leader is being able to talk to people within the administration, yes. right? And then yes. you also have to have that ability to talk to the community. Mm-hmm. And what I'm gathering is the difference between you and Gascon is that completely divergent, completely. So as we're talking about him, how is your leadership style going to change? when you become a district attorney, like in regards to like, if you compare yourself to Gascon, like what are you going to bring forth in your leadership? So, yeah. So I think one of his major failures as a leader has been that, you know, you, you, you mentioned talking to the community, talking to the employees in the DA's office, but the, the most important thing is the listening aspect of it. Right. In other words, not ever feeling that you have so much ego that you know what is right and what is wrong, especially when you're coming in as a person that that has never been in our office, has never tried a case in court. You know, uh, you would think you'd come in humbly to say, you have experience, let's work together to try to, um, you know, make changes and, you know, create reforms that really matter and work and all of that. And so, But instead, he did not listen. Like, he did not want to talk to any of us. He did not want to hear our opinions. He just came in with his agenda and said, we are issuing these directives and you have to deal with it. I mean, that's really what it was. And I know your mouth is open because (laughs) of the fact that he's never tried a case in court. Uh, Yes. As soon as he said that, I mean, maybe I should have known that, but I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, huh? How is yes. that possible? To me, he is a politician and he's jumping from place to place to try to, I guess, spread this agenda that he has. But it's not based on any experience that he has had. You know, it's he always talks about statistics and numbers and this and that. And we're like, talk to the victims. They'll tell you what's going on in their communities. Talk to the communities. They will tell you what is going on. We don't need numbers to be able to do our job. And so so that was the major failure, I think, because he had, I have to say, he had an amazing opportunity by becoming our district attorney if he really wanted to implement meaningful and thoughtful reform. He had that platform now, right? Yeah. And yeah. he had an amazing opportunity to bring us all into that plan and work with him, right? Like yeah. But he had to be willing to listen to us 
say, you know, that might not work, but why don't we try this, right? Like, you know, it's those things. It's like collaborating with the people you're supposed to lead. I mean, he's supposed to be our leader, but he doesn't lead us and he doesn't know how. And he, in the three years that we have been there, he has not been a leader to us. And so that is why everything within the office is falling apart. You know, there is the morale is at an all-time low. This is a career, Jackie, that every day in the morning, I felt so happy to be going to work. And that hasn't been the case in the last three years because it's so awful what's been happening in our office. And so that really drives me. And this running for office is not something I had really planned to do. And it's the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. But what keeps me going is knowing that I'm doing it for a right reason and I'm doing it to make things better. Yeah. And you have the credentials behind. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, Thank um, you. I'm just still baffled by the fact that this man was able to climb up to the top without mm-hmm. the actual experience. Yes, exactly. And unfortunately, I think that that has to do too with the public not being informed, perhaps, you know, and we have examples in front of our face because he served as district attorney in San Francisco for that some time before he came here. And San Francisco is a disaster. So it's like we had that example of what he was capable of being involved with. And yet the, the electorate said, well, you know, he has good ideas. So we're going to vote him in and see how he does. You know, we could have all predicted what was going to happen because he already had a negative track record. But unfortunately, the public maybe didn't know or or chose to ignore him or give him a pass on that. And now we have him setting his example here in L.A. County. And we've been seeing sort of the effect of some of his directives on our communities. Amigas, I've been asked from many, many, many women, where do you get your suits? Where do you get your tops? What products are you using? And guess what, amigas? I have a place where you can shop my store. So I'm going to drop the link underneath. It is called shopmy.us slash Jackie Tapia. And you'll find all my favorite things so that you can oftentimes get discounts there as well. So I love fashion. I love jewelry and just things that make us look good and great and feel amazing. And I am just so fortunate that I'm able to collaborate and be a part of this store called Shop My because not everybody gets that opportunity to be a part of it. So amigas, go there, have fun. And I will see you with some item that I love and I hope you love and and make you just feel so great. Because, you know, one of the things about self-care, it's also, you know, the external part that also works out, you know, wanting to look good and feel your best. Sometimes you need to look good in order to maybe possibly feel your little heart for one day at least. So usually I'm preaching the inner, outer, but today... I like for you to know that there's nothing wrong with loving the outerwear, right? So anyhow, amigas, I'm dropping that in the show notes so that you can also go and have fun. As I'm watching the news, I see all these robberies at these 
mm-hmm. department stores. And I'm like, call the cops. And nobody's there. Mm-mm. Nobody's Mm-mm. there. And I'm like, what? Is this like a, like it's a, a directive that comes down? Because I mean, I know that in order for you to prosecute a crime, the cop has to come and issue, you know, make do the statement, do the things that they do, right? And then it comes to your table. Like, is he doing anything in regards to what's been going on? So I think a little bit of what, now, people will say, you know, you can't blame uh, the DA for everything that is happening in terms of crime that is, and and I agree to that. I agree with that statement to a certain extent. However, the DA has a big role to play in how society sees the consequences of committing crimes. And when he is issuing directives that say to us, we are not going to prosecute misdemeanors. Blanket, no prosecution of misdemeanors. Those that get arrested for lower, lower level crimes, we're going to give them all diversion. And it doesn't matter how many times they've committed these crimes. We're going to go ahead and start with diversion. We're going to do everything possible short of incarceration because, and you know, that might work if you had a robust diversion program, if you had statistics about how diversion is working out in these instances. But what happens is the criminals, they know, they are emboldened by the fact that they know that the consequences, if there are any, are going to be very minimal, right? So it's worth it to go into the Louis Vuitton store and steal hundreds of thousands of dollars of merchandise, because if you get caught, first of all, the the police officers know what cases will be prosecuted and what won't. And sometimes it's not worth it for them to arrest, right? right? And so, so you know, they know it's sort of like the atmosphere. You know, the DA is the one that sets policy and sets the tone for how we as a community are going to address crime. And if there is no accountability, then this is what happens because the, the criminal offenders, they kind of know, oh, it's no big deal. We've heard within our office, recordings of people in jail. Oh, Gascon's going to get me out. You know, Gascon's policies are going to make sure I don't get prosecuted. They know, right? They listen. So it, it really does. And the, the DA has a large responsibility for, for how we set the tone on how we're going to deal with our criminal offenders and whether there is a consequence or not. And I'm not talking about just jail because I think we also have a responsibility now to look beyond that and look for alternatives that really, really work, that really matter, that are thoughtful, that are not just a second thought, you know, well, we need to put them in some diversion program. You know, is it the right one? I mean, is there, do we have a, you know, are we following it? Are they, is that being successful in rehabilitating them? But what's happening? And we don't, you know, we don't think further down the line after the sentencing. So that's something that needs to change for sure. So is that something that you're going to take on in ensuring the safety of Angelinos and creating policies that actually are more reflective of like, okay, if you commit this crime, there will be a consequence. Mm -hmm. I think we need to be able to use all of the laws that the legislature has given us. And there are many that the DA right now has chosen not to use. They're on the books for a reason. And the legislature is the one, the body that has created these laws for us to protect the public with. And so I definitely think that we need to be uh, more aggressive in how we use those, those charging decisions. But we also have to ensure that any alternatives are something that is meaningful. Um, I'll give you an example. Like 
one of the things I think that we need to really, that DA will need to advocate for more is the mental health issues, right? Because those mental health issues are creating a lot of the crime that is happening right now in Allen County. And the division that I supervise right now, we deal with arson cases, with stalking cases, and there is most of those criminal offenders have significant mental health issues. And unfortunately, the mental health diversion programs that exist right now will not take those individuals because they're a danger, right? They're a danger to to the public if they are released. And so, but then the only other alternative that we have is to send them to state prison where they may not be getting treatment that they need. So like, I think where there's a big hole is the middle, which is we need a facility that will be able to protect the the public from these individuals that have a violent tendency, but that will also address their mental health issues so that when they are released, you know, they're, they're not going to hurt the community. So there's a lot of work to be done also for advocating for more expansive, you know, opportunities that our, us as prosecutors can use when we're trying to sentence someone that has these kind of mental health or drug addiction issues. No, it's a, it's a huge problem, huge problem. I see even before the whole COVID thing happened, I have seen such a huge influx with more mental illness in the communities, especially in Santa Monica, which I'm like, oh my God, what is he doing? Oh my, I mean, I'm no Mm -hmm. doctor or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but I know that they need help. And it's such a huge, huge issue. I mean, this, this is, I mean, we Mm -hmm. can, we can spend a Yeah, we can talk about forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, if they're committing crimes, well, we're like that whole, like, well, you know, what do we do? The balance Mm -hmm. of it all. And, and Mm -hmm. I think that you have such a unique opportunity to be the voice of those voiceless, right? Mm-hmm. And to be able to help them. I think as a district attorney, I believe that having you in office, you'll be the opposite of Gascon and, and actually do something like help create these like diversion programs that mm-hmm. have housing as a component mm-hmm. for these mm-hmm. mental health individuals. Yeah. Right. That's, that's one of the questions they've asked about the the um, homeless um, population um, and whether the DA has a role in that, because we know we, we sort of place the responsibility on the mayor, right, of L.A., and that's their responsibility. But we also have a responsibility to ensure when when somebody, a homeless person commits a crime, that when we are either releasing them to the community or they're going to do some jail time and then be released, you know, that we ensure that part of the disposition involves a release to services that will at least get them the opportunity to work to to housing, you know, work to getting a job or whatever the case may be. We, you know, that and that's what I mean is our, I think our role as district attorney doesn't end at the time that we sentence somebody. It really, we have a bigger responsibility to be a part of the solution. And that's what I'm hoping I will, I can bring to the table. Yes, to be part of the solution. Exactly. Mm, part of the solution. Yes. yes. So, okay, amiga. So, Tell us if there's anything that you want to say here that you want amigas because and also amigos that listen to this podcast, what should they know about you and what they can expect when you become district attorney? I just want to really say that I'm hoping that they take a look at the candidates and uh, it is a crowded field. However, I really do want to 
point out the fact that I'm not just the woman and the Latina in the race, but I am the most qualified. And because of that experience, it is something that I will bring to the district attorney's office to restore the public trust in that office, that we are actually doing our job and doing it in a way that protects the the public, but is forward thinking and thinks outside the box. And I'm very passionate about not only the office, but I'm passionate about my LA County where I grew up and live now. And I'm ready to get to work. And uh, what a, a team uh, volunteer uh, in my in my campaign um, said a phrase which I think describes it perfectly is that when we do get Gascon out of office, there is no runway. We have to get right to work. And so if you want somebody to get right to work that knows what needs to be done to fix the problem inside of our office, to fix the problem in our communities, to fix the problem with these rising crime that we keep seeing on the news, that they need to pick somebody that is experienced, that has a passion for the job and also has a love for this county that comes from being a part of it since I was born. So I think that's what they need to know about me. And I hope that they will follow my campaign and uh, spread the word, which is very important because I am not a traditional politician, right? So I've been doing my best since, as you know, Jackie, since January, I believe, raising money, it's been a daunting task, and I think I've done a pretty good job, and I continue to do that. The primary is in March, and so it's important for me that your listeners uh, get to know who I am and spread the word. If they go on my website, whenever I have an event, a meet and greet or a fundraiser, I'll put the flyer uh, on the uh, website. And so uh, I'm hoping that that your listeners will start following me and really spread the word in L.A. County that I am a person that can do the job. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the primaries in March, amigas, so make yes. sure you vote. This is yes. super important. Now, before they vote, are there any volunteer opportunities for your campaign? There will be. If you go onto my website, uh, you can sign up for updates. And that is where we will be able to send out uh, emails. The opportunities for most of the at-large volunteers will will probably come after the new year, once we put our uh, campaign plan into action. This October, November, I'm going to be really focused on raising funds. And so that'll be my focus right now. And then after the new year, as we get close to, you know, the, the, uh, the ballots get mailed in February. So we really don't have a lot of time. It's going to be, we're going to have hit the ground running in January and get my name out there so that the the voting public uh, understands who I am and, and that uh, I'm the person for the job. That's right. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, Amiga, I know before I let you, because I always ask all of my guests, if you could provide one or two tips on how an Amiga can handle her shit. Because I know you've been doing this, girl. So yes. give us a tip or two. I think I have two. So the first tip is that I really, really believe in visualizing where you want to be and what you want to do. And that doesn't mean like, you know, they talk about those visualization boards and all of that. No, your visualization board is in your head. It's in here. And really that has helped me because what it is, is I say, you know, I think I want to go to law school and I have it in my head. Okay, so what are the steps that I need? to do that, right? And find out what that is. If you don't know, find out what that is. 
And the most important thing when you're visualizing, so it's like a step-by-step. So I wanted to go to law school, visualize, what do I need to do for that? And then go to the next step. Where do you want to work? Visualize, what do I need to do to get there? I'm at work. You know, I'd really like to be a supervisor. Visualize what it is that I need to do to get there. And the most important thing with this visualizing your goals in your life is to tune out all of the outside chatter that is happening around you. And included in that is those individuals that don't like sort of take you for granted or don't take you seriously. That has happened throughout my career where they underestimate me. And so if I really let all of that get to me, I don't think I would be able to succeed as I have. And so it's a matter of like you visualizing being in your head and knowing exactly what you need to do to get where you want to go, but then tuning out everyone else that has negative things to say about it, because that is not helpful at all. And they don't have influence over your life. They don't. And so you have to make these decisions. And I think that's really kind of what helped me, which was I didn't know that there was no, I just, it was like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And, oh, you're saying no? Well, I, I don't know what that means, right? And so, so it's that visualization that is super important. And then the other advice that I would give, which I'm, I'm finding now is, is, has been super important is that, you know, I never planned to run for office, but I have found that the decades of personal relationships that I have created and maintained a positive relationship with all of these individuals throughout my career are now critical to me in helping me run a successful campaign because I am able to reach out to somebody that I, you know, maybe handled a case with 20 years ago and we had a really good dynamic. We had a good relationship. So it's, it's really treating people with respect throughout your career. And not not just because they can get you something or they can get you somewhere, because you never know in the future who it is that is going to be critical for you or that you're going to need to move forward. So those are the maintaining the relationships are very important. Oh, absolutely. Well, I love this visualization and maintaining these relationships. Yes. Super key. Super key because. Super key. You know, you can't. I think one goes in hand with the other. You can't visualize something without trusting it, trusting in your vision, trusting that you will have the support to have your vision materialized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, I love all this stuff. Thank you so much, Maria. I'm so grateful to have you here. And I when when you win, you're coming back. <laughs> yes, I will for sure. And if I win or if I lose, I'll come back anytime. And I really, Jackie, appreciate this time to talk to you and really, you know, talking like this about what I'm doing just gives me more courage to move forward because I don't feel alone. And yeah. it's a very difficult thing. And so I really appreciate that you're there to support me. And thank you so much for that. Well, thank you so much. Our new district attorney, I love it. I'm like, I'm super there. So amigas, make sure you go out and vote for Maria Ramirez next year for district attorney. And remember that you can always follow her at, um, on her website is www.mariaramirez.com. 
I believe. No, it's mariafordia.com. Oh, maria4da. Well, we're going to put it in the show notes. So okay. maria Perfect. maria4da.com. So Correct. make sure you follow her and we'll come back and just really have uh, Maria come back and talk t- to us about the ending and how it all went. And woo, I'm excited. Yes. We will have a new DA. She's going to be Maria and that's it. <laughs> I love it. We're visualizing it. We're visualizing, We're visualizing it. it. And we have the support mechanism for this, right? I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I can't do it by myself. So I really appreciate all of your help. Thank you so much, Maria. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Jackie. Have a good evening. You too. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.